This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today we have a special guest, airshow performer, Bill Shepard, who's passionate about promoting aviation careers, the fields of science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, Before we speak with Bill, though, I have a few announcements. If you have any questions, comments, inspirational stories, or announcements, of course, please write us feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. If you have a special story about your career, you think would inspire others, please share that with us. If you want to come on as a guest, go ahead and click on how to be a guest on the right side. goes through all the different uh, instructions as far as how to come on and how to set up Skype so we can record you. If you don't want to do that, send me your story. I will read it um, if you don't want to come on the show. It's, it's so important for us to keep inspiring other folks that are out there in the careers. Also, don't forget, we do have the scholarships guide, the career coaching, and various online courses. Uh, you may be lucky enough to use a coupon code PAYITFORWARD, uh, and that actually gives you a free uh, scholarships guide. Otherwise, it's ten dollars for one year access and as you know we update that every month so if you want to make a difference in someone's life don't forget you can purchase a pay it forward coupon uh, find out more go to aerospace scholarships.com or simply click on uh, the scholarships guide and aviation careers podcast well again today i have with me bill shepherd he's an air show performer and advocate for people of all backgrounds to reach for the skies and fulfill their dreams you know, as an airshow pilot, he's uh, able to inspire the next generation of pilots through many of his activities. Uh, we first uh, met at the Rise Above, the Red Tail Squadron. He's also very involved with Rise Above WASP, which honors the women of the Women Air Force Service pilots. He also does this while definitely <laughs> inspiring the next generation of pilots and aerospace professionals. Uh, this program is really important to me uh, because it does, and as you know, I'm a big uh, advocate of inspiring youth, but also those folks that are changing careers. You know, last time Bill and I spoke, I think we talked, it was uh, 2018, uh, and I was at Sun and Fun. By the way, you can listen to that, liveatc.net slash SNF. Hey, Bill, welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. Hello, good day. How are you doing? I am doing awesome. Bill, this is so cool to talk to you again. I uh, had such, so much fun, and every time I'm with you, it seems like I, I come away uh, more inspired to keep moving forward, especially with what I do. You know, you know here's, here's a kind of an insight to, to even people like myself who, who do this type of thing in podcasting. We have to find inspiration, too. We, and I look to people like Bill to keep me moving forward and make sure we're, we're kind of moving the needle. Uh, but, Bill, you really are somebody who's been uh, just moving the needle and helping so many different people in aviation. There's so much that you do. Uh, but first of all, let's kind of back up here. I know you, you get to fly the P-51 Mustang, but uh, that's a teaser. You, you're, you actually started just like everybody else taking that first flight and getting involved in aviation. Tell us a little bit about your story, how you got involved. You know, it's one of those kind of stories that you find yourself at the right place at the right time uh, through your aviation career, and it's just a matter of taking advantage of an opportunity. Uh, like a lot of people nowadays, I started young flying in aviation. Uh, I was working at Piggly Wiggly at a grocery <laughs> store, bagging groceries in uh, Dallas, Texas, actually Arlington, Texas, back in the day, making two fifteen an hour and thought I was the richest man in the street. And uh, I just one day I went to the Arlington Airport with my buddy Jimmy Smith, and we uh, saw some planes flying uh, during lunchtime at school. 
and sign up for a Cessna pilot training program. And next thing you know, uh, I'm out flying airplanes and uh, spending that $2.15. But it was a lot cheaper to fly back when I first started flying. And uh, inside of three months, I, I got my pilot license. Uh, so I got it very quickly. And I got it actually before my 17th birthday. So I had to sit and wait for a little bit before I actually uh, you know, had my full license uh, for a few weeks. But uh, I had finished school in Canada. Uh, actually, because I was in my last bit of high school in Dallas, Texas, and then I uh, ended up finishing school, high school in Canada. So I ended up getting a Canadian pilot license as well. So I've been able to uh, maintain my whole flying career, both a U.S. and a Canadian ticket. So one of the things that I think people don't realize about you are, so did you move on and decide your career should move towards like the airlines? Because you obviously were somebody with a passion for aviation. Where did it take you next? You know, I, I like it. a lot of people, uh, you know, uh, having one of the only kids in high school to pilot license. I was, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, it's like whether you have a car or a plane, uh, everybody wants to ride, but nobody wants to put gas in it. So, and uh, <laughs> so you, 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 you go through your career as, as far as flying and uh, then you had to get a real job to pay for the fuel and, and what have you. And it kind of led me in a different career uh, where I am in Ontario, Canada, into automotive manufacturing and, and found my professional career there, obviously. And then, uh, but it helped feed the beast, as it were. I was able to, uh, you know, grow my pilot license, you know, get a commercial rating, uh, get a multi-engine rating, uh, you know, uh, get my IFR. And I was able to work in uh, both in Canada and the U.S. Uh, based on my status. So the long, long story short, it took me to Ohio where I got my commercial license and IFR. And I was ready to go to the airlines. And I had just enough hours. I was ferrying aircraft at night. And my job that I had at the time to help finance that offered me a position to go back to Canada to run a facility in Canada. So I you know, talked to my dad, say, hey, dad, what should I do? And my dad is a Marine, Corps, Marine uh, captain, and, you know, and, and his uh, stern voice said, boy, take that good job and, and feed your family. So, so I ended up going back to Canada to run a plant. And lo and behold, three months later, 9-11 happened. So if I would have taken left a good-paying job to, to go to the airline, I, I would have been furloughed for sure. But that was a real turning point. I was able to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, make some good out of it because that's when I got my association with the Canadian Harvard Aircraft Association. And this is just after 9-11. And I was able to get into the Warbird community at that time. That was really the pinnacle change in my life as far as uh, the type of aviation I had done. So I maintained my normal civilian, I'll call it, career as far as uh, automotive manufacturing to help pay for the avgas. But I uh, was able to sink my teeth into flying warbirds into Harvard's, or and as in the U.S., you'd say a T-6. And I became uh, president, uh, long story short, at the Canadian Harvard Aircraft Association, flying copious amounts of flights in a T and uh, Harvard, uh, becoming a flight lead, uh, a wingman, a flight lead, and uh, and leading the group to air shows. And that kind of got me into the air show community. It was a stepping stone to get into fighters and, and Mustangs and TBMs and, and so forth and so on. So while you were doing this, you were still maintaining your career in the automotive industry, correct? Yeah, it's maintaining my career in the automotive industry at the same time because, you know, really with a lot of uh, aviation uh, airshow career or in Warbirds in particular, you, you, you know, you're feeding the beast. You, you, you do it as a, a, a passion or a, a love for aviation. And, and I got involved in aviation education that time, but I definitely had to keep, uh, keep the home fires burning with, uh, with a day job, but was able to get involved with the Red Tail Squadron because I was, uh, one of my mentors, Doug Rosendahl, uh, one of the leaders of the commemorative of Air Force had seen me uh, flying the T-6 and the amount of hours I had to fly. And why that was important, because uh, I'll, I'll speak to uh, being an African-American pilot 
uh, flying of T6 was very rare. I was like the one of the third person or the, or the third African American in North America actually flying a T6. And by doing that and the type of flying I was doing with the Canadian Harvard Association, I was able to accumulate the most amount of time in a T6 for an African American flying uh, in the country. So uh, as the Red Tail program evolved, uh, flying a T6 uh, is the, the calling card to be able to fly into the Mustang, is, which is the training plane for the Mustang. And most people say if you can fly a T6, uh, the Mustang is actually easier to fly uh, in some cases. So I was recruited by the Commemorative Air Force at that time as the Red Tail program has started uh, by being uh, the things I had already done with the Tuskegee Airmen Incorporated International uh, 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 with the T6 flying and representing the education and African-American education representing the British Commonwealth Training Program as far as the, the Canadian uh, uh, rise of, as far as uh, training aircraft in World War II. Uh, so I was walking the talk, basically. And uh, so I was able to get the opportunity to fly the, the P-51 Mustang and help represent the, uh, the commemorative Air Force telling the Tuskegee story. And I think the big differentiator people asking about is how, you know, getting that opportunity. It was an opportunity that I said yes to opposed to saying no. And the reason I make that point because more often than I come across kids or adults or whoever, uh, they're making a career change or making a change in life. If you ask them a simple question, say, hey, how would you like to do this X, Y, or Z? Most people will go to the, to the how reason, how many, they'll tell you, spend all day telling you how many reasons they can't do something rather than they can do something. And I think that's when I look back as probably the differentiator that I might not be able to do something 100%, but I can do it 80%. So, hey, I can't go with you 100%, but this is what I can do. So going back to the, the coin that phrase, that can-do message as far as the uh, flying, oh, I have to do this, or I have to go cut the grass, or I have to go walk the dog, or I have to wash my hair on a Saturday night, you find most people will, will, will jump into that uh, excuse mode rather than saying, yeah, I could do that, or I can take that opportunity, or I may not be able to do all of what you're offering, but this is what I can do. And I think that was a differentiator attitude where allowed me to position myself to have these great opportunities by flying the P-51 Mustang, uh, flying the, the TBM Avenger, the Harbors, the T-6s, and so forth that I've flown so, thus far. And I, I think there's one thing that I would have to wrap my arms around would be, would be that. So you've become this real advocate for uh, all folks in aviation to move forward, just like you said, a can-do attitude. Uh, you know, one of the things, and I have to agree with you there, is that all through all the career coaching that I've done over the years, it's all these things that we've talked about. And just like you said, these are just challenges that we have to overcome, whether it's, you know, I'm too something, you, get, you know, got to get rid of the twos. I'm too short. I'm too fat. I'm too black. I'm too white. I'm too, too uh, un, you know, underprivileged. I don't have enough money. I have too much money. There's these things you just get rid of and you move forward. These are just challenges we have to overcome. Just like yourself. I mean, there's not many people that, and, and this is what's cool when I listen to you, there's not many people that have gone through the path that you have to be able to fly an actual P-51 Mustang. Have you, during that process, and I like to speak to this, just getting rid of those cans, did you find yourself at any of those, any of the time frames during that doubting yourself possibly or having challenges and how did you overcome those? You know, if I look at anyone else, we, I've had high and low points in my aviation career of things that, uh, you know, you have off airport experiences and so forth. We won't use the C word, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, uh, you know, experiences as far as with the, with the aircraft I've flown, as far as, uh, you know, uh, different failures of equipment or what have you. And I've come across that and you're, you know, 
And I, I think by walking a clean path and, and, and doing someone who's always prepared and, and does the best they can, you find that there, you have a definite peer group and a, uh, uh, takes a village to raise a child, as they say, um, you know, peers within the community that help support you through those things. And I think by being, uh, a person who's open to, uh, you know, coaching and open to, uh, suggestions and criticism, good, bad, or indifferent as endeared myself to a lot of my colleagues and what have you. And we've created, been able to create a great network of support within the pilot community. You know, one of the things we did from the Canadian Harvard Association that we flew together intensively as far as many uh, big formations, we spent a lot of time with each other in the air. But one of the things we always had a mandate, we became flying friends. And the flying friends, we had a duty to each other to say, hey, you know, if you're not feeling right, you're not, you're not, uh, you're creating an environment of safety, creating an environment of collaboration. So you didn't feel ostracized uh, if you wouldn't, weren't up for the task for the day. It'd be much more important to save yourself, but also save your buddies you fly with life by not forcing yourself to a situation you're uncomfortable with. And by creating those type of environments, it's, it's helped me twofold get through that. It definitely a sense of community in the aviation world, uh, being able to carry that through a lot of things I've done. And that's that community, you are actually growing through all the different things that you're doing. Uh, so we'll talk a, a little bit about that. So we have uh, through, there's so many great organizations out there, the Commemorative Air Force, the Rise Above, what you're doing in, in Urban Pilots Network. So uh, there, there's just a modicum of things out there. But one of the things I do want to stress to people, I was just talking to somebody the other day who actually is a motorcycle racer and is a female. And she remembers when she was young, people saying that she couldn't be a motorcycle racer because she was female. And we hear that also in aviation, don't we? And one of the projects that you were involved with is Rise Above with the Wasps. So for those people that uh, I know the people listening here, there's some of them say, I didn't realize I could do this, uh, whether I'm either a, a, a black pilot, a female pilot, a gay pilot, whatever it is, it doesn't matter who you are, you can do this. And that's what I love about the Wasps and the Rise Above. So tell us a little bit about that program. I kind of want to go into that and also the urban pilots after that. Well, I'll kind of back a little bit uh, with the Tuskegee Airmen program that kind of dovetails into the WASP program. When we started the Tuskegee Airmen program 10 years ago now, it was to highlight the attributes of the Tuskegee Airmen, what they brought to the table, their aim high attitude. You know, aim high, believe in yourself, use your brain, never quit and expect to win was the principles the Airmen had embraced to be successful in their journeys. Well, we found that not only, and we found out how it inspired young African-American uh, uh, boys and girls to write, to find their Tuskegee moment, as we kind of coined that phrase, to search inside themselves to rise above the, the situation they found themselves in. But we found there's all kinds of other examples in all kinds of different segments of the population that people all too rose above their situation they found themselves in and changed the face of what we see America is today. And, and one of the great stories is the women Air Force service pilots as far as the women changing history as far as, you know, back in 1942, 1943, you know, women coming out of the traditional roles for the very first time, uh, uh, working the factories, uh, you know, uh, helping uh, ferry aircraft, helping fly the aircraft and fix the airplane, take, doing non-traditional roles. So the WASP was an excellent story to highlight what women's contribution were and in changing it, changing the times across the U.S. and being able to, uh, to, to covet the, the great contributions they had made. So telling the story of the women Air Force service pilots, to how they aim high and believe in yourself and use your brain and never quit and expected to win, was an excellent segue or uh, part two of, this, of the overall story of Rise Above. 
So we spent uh, a lot of time with the, uh, the uh, World War II Wasp Museum in Sweetwater, Texas, which was the home of the Wasp Women Air Force Service pilots. And we were able to tell that same story uh, uh, with with uh, what the ladies contributed at that point in time. So it's been a great opportunity. We've had some uh, great collaboration with the uh, Texas Women University, the, the National Archive for the Wasps, the World War II Wasp Museum, and are all on board. Uh, we've had great uh, uh, working together as far as uh, being able to tell the story, much like the Tuskegee Airmen story. Uh, and we've been able to now uh, go on an all-female tour with the Erickson Collection. with one of the first all-female bomber teams uh, doing a coast-to-coast tour this year, 2020, with a STEM exhibit in the belly of the B-25 and an all-female WASP team. So once again, we're really excited of what we're able to uh, not only just simply do, but show uh, uh, kids somebody who looks like them doing uh, extraordinary roles for our country. Well, Bill, as far as the relevance for this of this program, and obviously the people who listen to this podcast know my feelings on this, things have changed over the years. And uh, we have seen so many people become integrated into the different fields in aviation. So the question to back up is, is you know, why do we need this? Why do we need to promote this? And is there still relevance today? Because we see women in all different careers. How about as it applies to STEM and also aerospace? Do you think there's still relevance to try to promote this? I, I still think there's some stereotypes we need to overcome in, in all fields, uh, whether uh, you're visible minority or not, or people who are doing something that is not of the stereotypical norm. Uh, we see uh, more people involved uh, in aviation, in particular, we'll speak to aviation, and, uh, and women in particular, but there's still only 6% of all pilots, uh, and it's the same uh, percentage. Uh, there's more attribute as a number because there's more pilots and there's a bigger uh, bigger opportunity. Uh, but there's still only overall 6% of women, which is the same percentage in the last 10, 15, 20 years, uh, of women in the, in, the, uh, in, um, in the aviation career. So we need to make the awareness uh, of that to continue, that, that journey continue, and make those opportunities okay to uh, strive for those kind of careers. Uh, one of the things I want to do with some of the different kids group we do, we kind of started a group called the one and the only, because often I, I address young uh, young people across the country and we have little sidebars and they say, I'm the one and the only uh, child in my family to go to uh, college. I'm the one and the only girl in my class to take science and engineering. Uh, I work for a mining company in the Arctic. I'm the one and the only uh, uh, mining engineer that's a female in this whole mining camp. And a lot of times people stereotypically, or sometimes, the wrong word there, but a lot of times they will dumb themselves down as far as uh, no matter who you are, got men, guys, girls, what have you, because they feel they don't want to ostracize themselves because they're the one and the only of the person of their persuasion doing whatever the attribute is. And they feel they have to not shine. And I said, well, forget that. Why don't you embrace your uniqueness and shine? You're the one and the only or something of one attribute. You should grab a hold of that and make sure you let people know that. But also that's your stepping stone to for greatness, not not something to hold you back. Uh, so I do think the story is still relevant uh, for whether it be young uh, African-American uh, boys and girls, boys, girls. And one of this, uh, I'll, I'll kind of segue to the third story that's in the can, uh, getting ready to be in the can with the commemorative Air Force, is the Aztec Eagle story as far as all Spanish-American uh, squadron uh, that flew P-47s in World War II uh, down in southern Texas. So there's more to come with the Rise Above story. So not only the Ski Gearman, 
the women Air Force Service pilots, but in the future, stories to tell are stories like the Aztec Eagles uh, and all Spanish-American squadron to represent another segment of our population that is underrepresented in all aspects of careers. I, that's awesome. I can't wait to see that happen. And, you know, going to what the, the one and only story that you told and, and now, you know, I really feel that we need to promote everybody in aviation and promote uh, women, African-Americans, Hispanic, everyone. And one of the stories that I tell people is I, um, you know, I coach a flight team and we have uh, quite a few females on our flight team. Well, one of the people that was on the flight team, one of the, the females heard the controller tell her something and did not realize that he was telling her, hey, listen, you're one of the best ones out there. And it was just what you said there, and this I noticed this among some people, is they don't want to be that one and only person that's shining above everybody else. And in reality, they are. So, uh, and there's someone who's shining above everybody else <laughs> zooming by. But the, yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah it, it's actually one of the things that I think we still have happening, and this is something, I think we are moving the needle, Bill, and, and, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this, because... You know, I'm so involved in with the youth and with the coaching and stuff like that. We actually are seeing a lot more women there because of the things that you're talking about, saying, telling people, "Hey, yeah, you can do this." For that one mechanic that's on the field, that's a that's a female. You know, that might be the one and only, but that one and only can tell other people. And we no longer have the one and only. We have a large community. Yeah, that is very true. And I have to admit, I'm a little biased in this whole storyline because I have three daughters and I have three daughters and I want them to be very successful in whatever they decide to do. And that's not just being a power broker and an executive in a boardroom, but, you know, being a master of what they decide to do. I just want them to be happy and healthy and have great careers, but I also want them to be prepared. I want them to be knowledgeable on what they decide to do and get the most information. So so that's why I have a passion, a personal passion to see this mission through and see what happens. I think a lot of the, the needles moving uh, as well because you know with social media and uh, and the way we look, we digest information now has definitely changed as well. Uh, if you're interested in finding something, it's okay uh, to check something out and, and explore and, and dabble into a little bit, and more so than it was in the past. As far as when you found your career track, you know you, know, you look like a mechanic and uh, you were steered to being a mechanic, uh, you know, your whole life. And even though that might have been your forte, but some, you know, adults, uh, uh, you know, deem that was uh, the best career for you and your high school counselor. And that's no longer the case anymore, that you're encouraged to explore and experiment. And um, I have two daughters in university and one of the orientation uh, uh, segments we go to that most people will not do their career they went to university for. They usually do something else or they'll change their career five times now in their lifetime now, uh, opposed to taking the 30-year job or the you know the uh, 30 years till pension or what have you. So people are, are exploring, they're experimenting, they're, they're looking beyond their nose. And I think that's all great. And so the way we digest information nowadays uh, is perfect to help support that. Yeah, and one of the things that I think you touched on there is a lot of times, and people know that in my life, is that we wind up in another career other than what we were pushed towards. You know, I always dreamed of being a mechanic, and I wound up uh, doing computers and being an airline pilot. Uh, I still dream of being a mechanic, and that doesn't mean I can't do it. I can still do that, say, part-time, etc. Some of the people, and I'd love to hear your, your take on this, Bill, because you talked about becoming an airline pilot. You wound up going towards another route, and I think it's, it's important for people to realize 
realize that no matter what we do, we can make a huge impact on people's lives and still have that passion for aviation or whatever it is we're passionate about fulfilled, like just like you've done. You may not be flying for an airline, but you're sure having a great time and you're helping a lot of people. You know, I, I think you have to uh, improvise, adapt, and overcome is an expression my dad uses all the time, uh, bringing from the Marine Corps. Uh, and I, I think that's what I applied to my particular case here that, you know, is not saying I, I could not still go back to the airline because the way uh, airlines are going uh, and needing pilots and the retirement age is going to change to 67 and so forth and so on. If I truly wanted to fly an airline, uh, there's still the opportunity for me to do so with uh, I approached it just around the mountain, just went around a different path as simply as that. Um, I have a lot of airline friends and, and that, uh, you know, regale as far as what their careers are like. And I took a career in 20 years in aviation, flying warbirds and air shows and, uh, and, uh, getting compensated for doing that opposed to, uh, you know, flying to Cancun back and forth <laughs> three, four times a day, you know? So, uh, <laughs> I, I think we all, we all find a different path. What works best for what works best for us. And, and what's nice with today's world is just because I picked the path that I chose doesn't mean I can't go back and still dabble in uh, a pass, whether it be mechanic or airline or, or uh, in flying and speaking, flying or flying corporate or whatever the case may be. And I think that's the, the interesting part of today's society that uh, you, know, you can find information and find a path forward to do that. If you're willing to find the path forward, I guess, is the overall key, you know, being able to uh, decide that I, I want to do something and what do I need to get to prepare. And that kind of segue back to the rise above principles as far as you know, uh, what makes it so important to share these rise above principles is not that we want to highlight one group or another. We're using that, that group as a stepping stone to tell the stories of the greatest generation to help inspire the youth to find their, once again, Tuskegee moment or their WASP moment, to find what they have inside to to reach for uh, their dreams and their goals and be ready to go. Um, and one of the things that we, we talk about youth as far as if you, uh, well, I'll digress a little bit. I, I have a lot of times people come to my office and, and say, hey, Bill, uh, if you give if you give me a raise of $10,000 a year, I'll go take this school program or this course and I'll be more value added to you and then value the company. I said, well, hey, wait a second. Why don't you take the course first <laughs> and then learn with it first and then come to me with the credentials and so forth, and then we'll be finding a spot for you and help you out. Because, you know, we all know when when uh, so-and-so was going to you know, have a have a baby, as an example. We know how long a baby takes to come. So don't wait till the baby's born to take that WordPerfect course. I'm dating myself by saying WordPerfect. The Excel course <laughs> or, or the, the PowerPoint course. Why don't you learn all those different attributes of skills and how to use the spreadsheet while your coworker is, is maybe going to go off on maternity leave or go off on sick leave or take that uh, six-week extended vacation till you're ready to go. And, and that was one of the attributes of the WASP and the Tuskegee Airmen, they were ready to go. They were prepared and they knew what had to happen. They didn't wait for someone to say, hey, why don't you go study this, crack a book, you know, or, you know read read the manual. And they were doing these things on their own and they had the, the, um, the intestinal fortitude to see that same thing through. So and that's what I would uh, inspire or advice I would give to someone who, whatever age group you are, if you want to succeed, you need to crack the book open. You need to be proactive. You need to eat right. You need to exercise. Uh, you need to be look the part. Uh, you know, you need to be look successful as far as only it, it being said. It's a whole holistic uh, uh, to get yourself right. 
Yeah, and basically do something, you know, take action. And I think that's really important. And I really, you know, listening to you talk about this, it's it's inspired me to get moving on some other things, projects that I've been wanting to do. So, uh, it, so no, right after this, I'm going to be jumping yeah. into some one of the projects I was going to going to work on. But I, I think your that story is so important to get across to people is is just go move forward. And we talk about that all the time. Just take that one step uh, forward, no matter what you're doing. There's, you know, one of the things that I think is really important that you do is you're out there always advocating for people to to move forward, no matter what they do. Remember this. I mean, this is Aviation Curse podcast, but we talk about all aerospace careers, et cetera. And there is a point you touched on that I think is really important. No matter what you do, it's incredibly important. What you do is something that you're passionate about and brings value to yourself. You know, he was talking about going back and forth to Cancun, and I'm sitting there as he's saying that I'm jealous of him, that I'd rather be flying a P-51 than going back and forth to Cancun, which I'm doing this week. So <laughs> you, you, there's always perspective here. You know, we, we all, a lot of times, uh, don't realize how blessed we are with what we're doing now. And we always look at other people and say, gosh, I wish I could do that. Well, you can do that. It just may manifest itself differently, just like Bill, it has for you. You've done that. You've taken this path and it's always varied and, and you, but you keep continuing forward. And that's one of the things I love about, about you, Bill, and about the fact that, you know, and I didn't mention this, by the way, he's a really good air show performer. Uh, and this is more of a career podcast, but you do a great job oh, thank out you, there thank you. just thank flying you. the airplane. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> and it, <laughs> it's fun to watch. You, that's for yeah, sure. well, one of the, the things that uh, I, I like to pass on to uh, um, uh, to kids as I talk back and forth, is, you know, as far as you know, be professional, uh, you know, uh, be kind and, and uh, be forthright, and realizing that um, um, that uh, you have a whole group of people around you that are looking to help you out. Uh, I found this at a very young age and so forth that I call them the sleeper cell. There's more people. You're always in a job interview, I guess, is the expression you used to say. That you don't ever know who's watching you and who's want to provide an opportunity. And there's so many great mentors, Sean D. Tucker, uh, um, uh, you know, Robert. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a whole list. Is going to lose me right now. But uh, different air show professionals that are always looking to find out who can replace them or who the next up and comer will be, and they're looking for the people who are professional who come prepared and you'd be surprised how many people are actually there they're willing to help you out because you're a good person you may not be the best at what you do you may not be the shiniest penny in the in the drawer or the sharpest knife in the drawer or whatever the expression you want to use but you there's a great community out there people want to help you and just as long as you're a great person if you're not a kind person and you're arrogant or full of yourself or whatever it may be you find that those doors will shut and you didn't even know they were able to be open for you so you don't know what you don't know sometimes and that's one piece of advice i do give to youth as far as you know whatever you do be professional be prepared but be kind and be humble and you'd be surprised how many people there want to see you be successful there are people who actually want you to be successful and they want to latch on to a rising star and, and you want to give them the opportunity to be that rising star and uh, that's one of the things i um 
I pass on to youth. And, and I guess in today, the other thing I pass on is your digital footprint. Stop it with the bathroom selfies, <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> uh, because more often than not, my, when I'm hiring, uh, uh, different folks, I have, a one of my partners, a hiring partner we do a dual interview and one of us will ask the questions. The other one has the laptop open. And while you're talking tell me how you go to church three times a week and how you're a great person, we're Googling you and we're looking at all your Facebook profiles. We're looking at all that stuff and the lampshade in your head and the, and the beer cans all around your feet and stuff don't bode well for a person who's telling us one story, but you know, the digital pictures and footprint are another story. So, you know, those are two anecdotal things that I, I, I express to youth as you're coming up as far as, uh, yeah, be mindful and, uh, pictures worth a thousand words nowadays and are more, are more so, but, uh, well, Bill, I, I'm glad you said that because I'm constantly harping on those two things is number one, you know, be careful your profile out there, you know, digitally, but, but also don't be afraid if, if you've noticed you go back in the past few episodes, a lot of people have asked, you know, Hey, can I reach out now? I'm nowhere near, uh, becoming a mechanic pilot engineer. Should I talk to these people? And it's like, yes, just like Bill just said, but be humble because people want to help people as long as you're humble and you have a great yeah. attitude. So Bill, that was some sure. awesome advice. Uh, Bill, I do want to go ahead. Oh, sorry. sorry. I'd like to segue over because you mentioned careers a couple of times and I'd be remiss that uh, I've helped and it's terrible helping people. One of the groups that have been a tremendous help over the last little while is the North Texas Council of Governments, NCTCOG, uh, responsible for the, all the airport management in Northern Texas. And they've been a great partner in education. Uh, they have a website, uh, nctaviationcareers.com that we've been promoting. And they also have a, 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 a app, a, a crazy birds kind of flying app uh, called DF, uh, uh, Fly by DFW that is downloadable for free. And what we've uh, uh, trying to inspire youth, it's the age of information, is to provide information for airline careers. It's a little known ratio. It's a 14 to 1 ratio, which meaning that for every one pilot, there's 14 support crew. So mechanic maintainers, aircraft control, uh, people who manage the airport, so forth and so on. So you don't have to be the pointy end of the stick to be important, as it were, as far as being the pilot to be part of the equation. There are 14 other roles that you can have and be with in aviation that are definitely needed and very important to part of the equation. And you can find out about those jobs uh, on the partnered website at nctcareersaviation.com because that's a website designed for youth, designed for kids and students, uh, students, teachers, and parents to look and discover all those careers in aviation about where you go to school, what prerequisites you need, how much money you can make, where you can find jobs, links to service hubs as far as uh, 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 HR uh, departments for those different companies. It's a help put together by Bell and also by Lockheed Martin as some of our title sponsors uh, with that to help bring the software to life. And what we've done in a fun and innovative way that you can download the Flyby DFW app, uh, which is kind of a fun, kind of a crazy birds app. You tap the screen and the plane flies across the screen and it has some of the attributes of icing and power and curve and what have you. But it has a link, direct link to the website as a backdoor to the website. But when you complete each level, it throws out aviation career trivia questions to get, and get people involved and thinking of aviation and once again links them to that aviation careers website and you can learn all about Bernoulli's theory why planes fly uh, uh, the principles of flight and then once again all the career stuff and help career plan and find your path forward uh, in the aviation career so it's been a great website we've been using or promoting that this year on the road uh, with their all-female bomber team as far as one of our uh, STEM displays and that's one of our work STEM workstations is a career workstation uh, focusing on that new website from NCT Cog. 
NCT Aviation Careers, and we have that linked on the website through NCT Cog, and uh, we'll have that at the bottom of the show notes. So if anybody, by the way, if you have any questions, feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast, we'll definitely send them along to Bill. If it's a question about any of the websites we mentioned, please send it to us. We will send you a link. Uh, send us your questions. We'll send you a link to that. But that's awesome. I, I think uh, there's so much out there that's going on that's incredible, and, and we're really moving the needle. There's two more things I really want to talk about um, before we go, if you have the time, is number one. One, something I'm, I'm passionate about is, you know, some people know my story. I started off in Newark, New Jersey, and we kind of moved out to the country and is this urban pilots network. And I think a lot of times we don't realize uh, uh, in the urban environment that we do have these opportunities to, to go into the fields of the STEM fields and the aviation fields. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing there with the urban pilots network. You know, the urban network, was, uh, it's a Canadian in the greater Toronto area uh, for pilots uh, of um, uh, minority pilots who were flying and minority aviation professionals that were in and about the Toronto area that were uh, were kind of underrepresented. Uh, what we found that um, a lot of the kids were coming up were getting erroneous information. Um, yeah, here's here's a different kind of contrast when I started flying as I soloed in five hours when I when I first started flying. I was very, very blessed, very lucky, and, and took to it right away. And I was able to, you know, do my uh, in my uh, you know 45 hours and, and do my test. And as a you know, so I don't know if it was the times or what have you. Where a lot of kids nowadays are soloing at 20 hours uh, and more, and 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 this, the cost of doing that is three and four times more expensive. So once again, creating a network of, of our peers, we we gathered aviation professionals in the Greater Toronto area. They were able to uh, uh, be a mentor, uh, mentors uh, to the youth in the greater Toronto area to help guide them through the process. So if they had questions on uh, airlines and how to get an airline job or, or uh, I'm 25 hours into my flight training, I still haven't soloed yet. You know, is this career for me? Do I have the right instructor? Do I have the right marriage between student and instructor? Uh, there was a gap for that. And then once again, uh, inter- interesting, uh, uh, introducing young urban kids uh, into the boroughs of the Toronto area and the greater Toronto area into, once again, aviation and aviation careers and so forth. So we set that up as a grassroots operation. Man, that's been about, oh, about 10, 15 years ago now, and it's, and it's flourished. Uh, we have over 100 members uh, now that are aviation career professionals. And it's not just pilots. Once again, it's engineers, it's, it's mechanics, it's it's uh, air traffic control people. It's pilots, of course. It's um, you know uh, flight attendants. Uh, we have a traffic collection uh, of individuals that offer mentoring uh, ship to to those students, and we're very happy and very success uh, and offering scholarships as well uh, to attend aviation uh, colleges and universities in the area. So we're quite proud of what we've uh, achieved, and it's now in professional motion where it's uh, self-sustaining now. So we're really happy about that as well. Well, we're going to hear more about those scholarships because obviously we're going to check, make sure they're in our scholarships guide. And if they're not, we're going to put them out there. Uh, Bill, you know, one of the other things that you do, you're part of this Ericsson uh, aircraft collection and you're, I think, the director of that now. Been doing that for about a year. And uh, one of the things that I think people don't realize, there's so many roles that we can get involved with in aviation. Tell us a little bit about that real quickly. And and amazingly enough, uh, a lot of people don't realize that there, there are people, there's a huge amount of people that are helping keep these aircraft flying. You know, it was an exciting opportunity I've been able to uh, to get myself involved with. The, the Ericsson Collection is the largest privately held collection in North America uh, of warbirds under one one roof. 
the largest collection of warbirds are, are organizations like the Commemorative Air Force and the Collins Foundation and, and what have you, but are mainly a nonprofit organization, one on a nonprofit model. So what makes Ericsson uh, a very uh, unique is it's owned by one person, uh, Mr. Jack Erickson, is uh, his collection of aircraft since the early 70s. And our, our role there is to, uh, um, you know, Mr. Erickson is 85 years old and he's interested in leaving a legacy behind to help with youth and aviation and help perpetuate and uh, these aircraft and make sure they're still around for generations to come. So the role I've uh, been able to uh, uh, take advantage of or be part of is to be part of the team of people at Erickson uh, to help uh, get the, bring these aircraft to life. And a lot of times uh, the success we've had with our STEM projects and with our education programs and, and other organizations is looking at the planes more than just an inanimate object as far as uh, just being metal and oil and, and, and avgas. Is the stories behind the aircraft and the people who flew the aircraft. Uh, you know, we have a, a Corsair there that uh, we have it deckled out for Jesse Brown, which was the first African-American a naval pilot who, uh, who perished in Korea, was shot down in Korea. So we tell their story. Uh, we tell a story with a B-25 with the lost story. We have a depth of that with FIFA now to tell the lost story here in the 2020 uh, tour. We have a B-17 as an example uh, named Yeo Pub to talk about the great heroic story of the B-17 that's escorted back to England with the, P- uh, the ME-109. Uh, and in some cases, uh, some of the people still involved, they're still alive. So we're bringing the collection to life. So it's more than just inanimate objects and just uh, uh, metal and and and, and avgas. It's uh, the stories behind it. And uh, the Erickson uh, family is uh, dedicated to keep the uh, uh, collection alive and 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 bring that to the public. And we're glad that they're doing that. That's uh, both through Ericsson and all those other organizations. We're so happy that they're promoting the history of aviation because we can learn so much about the past so that we can apply it to our futures. Uh, Bill, this has been so awesome talking to you. We could talk for hours about all the different initiatives that you've been involved with. But if someone has a question, feedback at aviationcouragepodcast.com, I will forward that to Bill, and then we'll either read the answer on here or have Bill back on again. We'd love to see you again. And by the way, uh, what's next? What air show will you be at next where we might be able to see you? Actually, we're just putting the air show schedule together now. Uh, we just uh, One of the events we go to in December is ICAST, International Conference of Air Show. So the who's who in the zoo of all the acts you see in the air show community uh, uh, descend on Vegas for that first week of December. And we do our horse training. It's an air show convention. So all of us are diligently working right now, putting our schedules together. I think uh, for us, uh, for our new WASH team, our first air show lined up is the, uh, actually, I'm going to be at the Sanford Airport uh, for the Lockheed Martin Aviation Cruise Day uh, on January the 25th. It will actually be our first uh, initial event for, Jan- for 2020. And then our first full-blown air show for the WASH team is going to be at the L.A. County Air Show uh, in uh, March, the, uh, March the 14th. So uh, yeah, stay tuned and uh, look for us out there. And the Red Tail Squadron is going to be doing uh, 35, 40 shows all across the country. You can go to redtail.org and keep your first schedule there. Yeah, and we'll have links to all those at the show notes. I know we've mentioned so many websites, and there's going to be a whole bunch of those links at the bottom. So make sure you follow uh, Bill and all that he's doing and all the uh, folks that are there. Uh, hats off to them. And, and you know, it is important, by the way, to mention the people behind the scenes. And Bill mentioned ICAST. And Matt Len, who's our, our new program coordinator, you don't hear him on the show, but he's the one that set this up with Bill. Again, there's so many people that put this show together that it's not just me. I know you hear my voice all the time, but there's 
there are so many people. It does take a village to move everything in life. And one of them is that this podcast that helps inspire you to move forward in your career. Well, Bill, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate you and appreciate all that you're doing in aviation. Thank you so much. Great to have you. And we'll see you on the air show circuit. <laughs> awesome. And folks, one thing I want to tell you, if you're listening right now, and you know, Bill is really inspirational and his story is wonderful, uh, but you can do it. You can move forward in your career, but the way you do it is this, and we talk about this every single time at the end of the show. I want you to do something. I want you to do something. It could be small. It could be just going out and looking up one of these websites and looking into scholarships or just reaching out to people and asking, or it could be something very large, schedule your first flight or schedule that first tour of the, the maintenance hangar or going to a college and visiting. But what you need to do, you need to do something today to move forward in your career. It could be a small step. It could be a giant leap, whatever it is, do it today. We'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.